Good morning, everyone. So good to see everybody here. I always appreciate the opportunity to share with you from God's Word. And, you know, it's great to be part of a church where you see people serving God with just a, a joyfulness and a, um, abilities and just everyone here. Um, Neil, thank you so much for your work. And Tim, and, and, and we have a pastor who digs into the Word of God every week. You know, that's something that you don't find in many places. So... So I take it as a privilege to take up a little of your time this morning and your patience. And uh, I have a little Baptist in me, so I can use this mic. I don't have to use this one because I don't move around a lot. I, can't, I can only slow dance, too. But, uh... <laughs> right. Uh, this morning I want to pick up on a... On a on the final sermon series on Walk This Way by Pastor Rick, and we've really appreciated that, brother. Um, but to be candid with you, I've been walking circumspect. I've been looking around, paying attention to what's going on in the world, and you know, I have to tell you, I find myself pretty stressed and angered when I see what's going on. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to absorb it all. Um, it's really hard to watch as we witness this, the dismantling of our, our, our country. Um, it used to be a great nation. Not perfect, but, you know, it's, it's interesting that um, I, I believe that God has blessed this nation. You know, he's given us a privileged position. We're only 250 years old, but we've enjoyed prosperity and freedoms in this country, endowed by our creator, right? Um, we've been entrusted with a position of leadership in the world and um, be, that's primarily because of our founding Judeo-Christian um, beliefs. Um, you know, say what you will about America, it, it, it was founded on the Word of God. There's a lot of revisionists who would say that wasn't the case, but it's a fact. I won't say it's a matter of fact, but it's a fact, right? <laughs> um, in our lifetime, in my lifetime, our culture, we have abandoned these principles, though. Uh, we've been become progressively pagan and godless. Secular humanism is what we abide by now. It's dominated our society and our government. Our, our state-funded ed educational system has been systematically indoctrinating our youth with anti-God, anti-American uh, rhetoric and um, sexual perversion, exchanging truth for lies. This has resulted in the breakdown of the most essential backbone of our of human society, and that is the um, the, the family, the, the structure of the family, the traditional family consisting of one man and one woman, and hopefully a bunch of kids. <laughs> Moving further and further away from biblical standards has been um, normative in our culture, for sure. So you know, I don't want to paint too bad of a picture. Um, but, you know, we are a nation in decline. And we have been collectively, for the last 60 years, been, been giving God the middle finger, basically, you know. And there's consequences to that. You might even say we have it coming to us. You know, the Bible says that God will not be mocked. And we see God mocking, being mocked from our, from our culture, from our country. Uh, Wealth, and consequently, wealth and prosperity and peace are diminishing. You know, 
just a quick tick here. The last couple years, we've lost our energy independence. We're being gutted by high energy prices. I don't want to get too political. Inflation, uh, as somebody who has retired in the last couple of years, uh, the dollars don't go as far for sure. Um, I have a bag of dog food, and it used to cost $30, is now $60. And um, no, don't worry, Beverly and I are not eating dog food yet, but we're okay. But it may come to that, right? But um, our country, the, the, those involved are just producing unsustainable debt. Our, our, it's, you can't even really fathom the, what trillion, $30 trillion, $33 trillion, you can't, we don't, we can't relate to that really, but um, our safety and security are in question. Over 7 million illegals have responded to the all clear system. I don't blame those people, but I blame those who've said, come on in, you know. Undocumented. I mean, many of these many of these men are single, fighting age men who have come here, um, and they've come here from countries that hate us. Known terrorists for sure, and as well as many of most of the world's uh, most violent gangs, convicted criminals have crossed our borders unchecked. Um, we watch our major cities overwhelm with crime, vandalism, looting, carjacking, murder, armed robbery assaults, human traffic, I mean, the list just goes on, drug trafficking, overdoses, suicides, and I think all of us have been affected by that, and if you haven't, you will be. It's just inevitable. Um, geopolitically, we have very, we've lost respect on the world stage. Our enemies are mocked, they mock us, they taunt us. Um, unholy alliances are forming right now as we speak. We're moving very close to World War III. Basically, the world's on fire. You know, that's not what I came to talk about. But what I did come here to talk about is what do we do about this? How do we respond to it? How do we react to with this? Um, I guess we can vote, right? Well, we can vote, but I'm not sure we can trust the people who count the vote, right? That's that's the real critical part. You know, there is systemic corruption in in almost all of our major agencies, the, the Department of Justice, the CIA, FBI, Homeland Security, you get the picture. <clears throat> As believers, how do we process this? It is becoming more intense by the day. Second Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So the solution is not a socio-economic one. Um, it's not a political or mil military one. The key is to recognize, biblically, these things are inevitable. Um, we need to realize that we're in a spir spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. Um, and we have a spiritual enemy. And the other thing, the key is to recognize that God is sovereign. So. Unfortunately, though, over the past several decades, the, the church, not talking about us, but the church at large has lost its identity. Uh, it's compromised in many ways, primarily with the word of God. We've allowed ourselves to be marginalized, irrelevant, having little or no impact on our society. I think that's the main reason we find ourselves here. Now, in the book of Ephesians, we're giving, we've been given positional truth. Uh, we read it, this, Neil quoted it this morning, 1-3, we are 
blessed in Christ Jesus. We're seated in the heavenly places. Um, in the, the book of Ephesians, we all have, also have practical truth, how to walk. And I've really appreciated that series on, on a walk this way. Um, and, and you remember the, the, was there seven principles? I forget, <laughs> six. Um, but we put off the old man. Um, we are not, we're instructed not to walk as other Gentiles in the vanity of our mind. Um, we are to be angry and sin not. Uh, give no place to the devil. Be followers of God. Walk circumspectively, not as fools. But we're also told to redeem the time, for the days are evil, and to understand what the will of the Lord is. So now, in this section that I'm going to pick up, we're, we're talking about purposeful truth, how to stand. We, we're seated, we walk, and now, finally, how to stand. Our text this morning is Ephesians 6, and I'm going to read it, six through, uh, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and uh, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. <clears throat> for, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, this morning we come to you just honoring you, knowing you are sovereign, God, knowing that you, um, nothing takes you by surprise, knowing that we do not have to be fearful or stressed, Lord. We, we just need to recognize who we are in Christ and recognize that we have power available to us. We have wisdom and strength and all these things, Lord, um, that we can walk in. And, uh, pray this morning that we would get something from your word, Lord, to take home. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> so I painted a little bleak picture, but so I have a little story to kind of to uh, relieve that a little bit. <laughs> a young girl gets on a plane to visit some relatives in another state. During the flight, she opens her Bible. In the seat next to her is a man who's an atheist. He notices her reading her Bible so we ask her if she believes what she is reading to be true. To which she confidently answers, oh yes. He replies, what about the story of Jonah and the whale? I mean, how could a man survive in the stomach of a great fish for three days? That's impossible, he exclaimed. The young girl threw out, uh, thought for a moment, and then she said to the man, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah about that. 
And the, the man mocked the girl and said, well, what if he's not there? And she said, she paused and she said, well, then I guess you're going to have to ask him. <laughs> Simple, just believing the word of God, right? <clears throat> so this morning, just what is the sword of the spirit? How do we handle it? What does it accomplish? How do we appropriate it? The sword of the spirit, what is it? It's the name of the sword is the Makaran. Tim, did you find a picture of that? That's a, it's a, that's a relic there, but that's kind of what we're talking about. We're not talking about this two-fisted sword. This is the uh, small utility weapon that the Roman soldier would have on his belt all, at any given time for handy things, cutting, thrusting, killing, blocking, def deflecting. And, and when I pulled that image up, um, Another image, when I was searching for another image, the first thing that came up is, is Amazon will sell you one of those for $18.50 with free shipping if you order it this week. So <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> um, so our passage defines the sword as the word of God, which has its origin from the Holy Spirit. You know, to many to, today, many do reject the Bible as the Word of God. They say it's just the product of men. They say it's cha been changed and corrupted. It's full of errors and contradictions. It's been disproven by modern science. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. And, uh, God did use, he did use over 40 different men to, to give us his Word over the course of 2,000 years. We know that God has revealed his Word to us and that it is infallible. It's authoritative. And it has many internal and external evidences, proofs of its authenticity. You know, you can argue with people about that, but it doesn't matter. We, we, it, this is, it's a faith position that we come to the Word of God knowing that it's from Him. And it's powerful. We'll learn a little bit more about that. Um, Um, this faith position, we know um, with, uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, um, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's an interesting one to think about. Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Second, uh, Peter, who you remember, was an eyewitness of the transfiguration. And he tells us that there's something better than the eyewitness account. He says, but we have a more sure word of, of prophecy, speaking to the, the prophecy of Scripture. That tells you how that's the right approach. The, the word of God, we, we're completely dependent upon God's revelation of truth. We don't have truth within ourselves. And science is man's admission of his own ignorance. Uh, it says we don't know. Uh, I, I'm, we're not against science, we, but it's limited. It, it cannot give us information that only God can give us, and he's done that. Um, P, 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for privacy came... Prophecy came not in old time, but by the will of man, but by holy men of God. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is the giver of the word of God. 
and the, the gift is the Word of God. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, many of you probably have memorized this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it is, it is God-breathed. Now, in our passage here, there's two words for the word word. One is logos, which is used about 330 times. It's the typical expression of um, thought. That's the normal word. But now, in our passage here, there's a different word for logos. It's, it, the word is rhema. It's only used 70 times. And it is really associated with the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. Um, it, it has the understanding of the, uh, uh, the acquired word, the word received, a gift, the appropriated word, the application of the word. Now, of course, it wouldn't be extra biblical, but it, it really speaks to the power and effectiveness of the written word of God. I, you can get in trouble with that, but so I won't go any further. But um, I'll give you some examples, though. Uh, in in uh, Matthew 4, 4, and I'm going to zip through these. Uh, he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, or word, that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words, the rhema that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God, the word of God. Hebrews 1, 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, the rhema of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, one more, First uh, Peter, but the word of God, the rhema of God endureth forever, and this is the rhema by which the gospel is preached unto you, the word. So we're trying to define the sword at this point a little bit. So um, what else do we know about the sword, the rhema of, of God? What does it accomplish? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick, it's powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's pretty sharp. Yeah. The word quick there, it really means to be alive. It's, it's active. It's fresh. It's strong. It's efficient. The word of God is efficient. Um, it's powerful. It's effectual. It's energizing. Um, Luke 4, 31 and 36, when Jesus taught, they were astonished because his words were with power. Remember that? They were all amazed because with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits and they came out. It's sharp, it's piercing, it's dividing. It, it has the ability to separate. It's a discerner able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart or the mind. That's the effectiveness of the word of God. And it's just a shame how many people don't pick it up. It's a shame how so many people just leave it on the shelf or even reject it and deny it. I mean, if you're, if you, it's sad to say that a lot of churches, it's hard to find a church today that even teaches the Word of God um, or is committed to teaching the Word of God. Even during their times of sermon and teaching, they really, it's not the Word of God. It's, it's hard. It's hard. You can listen to the radio. Nothing against bot radio, but I mean, 
Many times you listen to for 30 minutes and you get nothing from the Word of God. So it's, it's a problem. Uh, so now we've defined the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God. How do we handle it? Uh, the first thing is to appropriate it, to take it. Um, in, in, er, in the early passage, earlier in the passage, it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Um, and verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. That's the typical word. It just means to pick it up. So we have this armor, and it's there, and we're just supposed to pick it up. But it's a different word when we get to the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Um, it, the word is dekomai. It means to accept or receive favor, favorably. Like it's, it's something that's presented as a gift, and, and we receive it. We don't just pick it up. And it's interesting that that's in relation to the helmet and the sword, which represents our salvation and the word of God. Um, the scripture says, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 2.13, uh, an example of this is, is this. For this cause we also, this is Paul speaking to the, writing to the Thessalonians. Uh, we thank God without ceasing because when ye receive the word of God which you heard from us you received it not as the word of men but as it is the truth the word of God which effectually worketh in also in you that believe number two we need to identify the word of God I know that sounds funny but Psalm 12 6 through 7 says the words of the Lord are pure words they're tried like uh, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Um, a warning from Psalm 138 too. A lot of people don't realize this. We were. It's interesting. We were uh, the song team, which I really appreciated. Uh, the the names of God. We know how God feels about His name. In fact, there's one of the commandments talks about that, right? Um, it says, uh, Psalm 138, 2 says, I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Look at this. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So God's pretty concerned about how we handle his word. And let me just say this as an aside. You know, the Lord has promised to, to preserve his word. And it's, it's, you can decide, but it's my educated opinion that God's word preserved in the English language is the King James Bible. I know there's a lot of debate. That's, you can spend years studying that, but, and I've done that. <laughs> um, but all the modern versions from early 1900s on are good translations, but they're just translations of the wrong manuscripts. And they've been used to manipulate the Word of God. They've been, been used to reinterpret the word, word of God. They've been used to cause people to doubt the Word of God. And um, I kind of learned this the hard way. I don't want to run over, but uh, just a quick testimony. I, I um, started to say this last time I spoke, and I, I didn't have time. But, you know, I, I, as a young man, Bible believer at 17, um, that's when I got serious about the Lord and about the gospel ministry and his word, and I've been a student of the word since then. 
I had a Bible that my grandmother gave me. It was a King James Bible, and I read that, and that's what impacted my life, and it spoke to me. I, I learned many of the things that I believe today happened in that first year of just putting my head in that King James Bible. I then went off to a Bible college. That's where I stopped last time, and I didn't want anybody to get the impression that I thought my Bible college was anything great. I, I, I appreciate my education. I, I have a Bible degree and, and um, a four-year degree, a couple of years in Greek, which is uh, a lot of work. Um, but I, you know, when I went to college, they, the first thing they did is they said, in this school, we're going to use the New King, uh, I'm sorry, the New American Standard Bible. And basically, we took my King James Bible and put it here and got a Ryrie Study Bible. Fine. You know, there, you can find the Word of God in those Bibles. Um, but it's, it's been compared to try, is trying to find a meal out of a garbage dump, you know? So, and I think God uses those in spite of them, but I, I'm not so sure because for a number of years, I used the New American Standard Bible, and you know, it didn't speak to me. It was academically. Academics, I understood, I studied, but there was something wrong, something missing, and I could not figure it out for a number of years. Uh, the New King James came out. I started using that for about a decade, and that was better. Still wasn't the same. There was something wrong. I finally picked up, after a couple decades, my King James Bible, <laughs> a different one. My first one was worn through. And you know what? The rhema of God was there. It spoke to me. It has an effect. It worked. I, 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 and I'm not, you know... That wasn't my agenda, but I have to just tell you as a personal testimony that I've never put it down since then. And, um, and you know, a 20-year drought, you know, um, it's hard to explain. But um, those manuscripts that appeared in the mid-1800s, um, they were under the direction of the Roman Catholic Church. Those, the modern Bibles have been used to attack, there's about 300 changes that affect doctrine. They've been used to attack the um, deity of Christ, the blood sacrifice, the virgin birth. They promote baptismal regeneration, replacement theology. The list goes on. It's a long study. But we're warned um, about those who handle the word of God deceitfully. We're warned about those who corrupt the Word of God. Actually, the King James Bible, I think, is the only one that says that. Everybody else uses a different word from, than corrupt. I guess they saw themselves in there, and they decided that'd be a good place to change it. Um, so you, you decide. That's just my opinion. Um, sec, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study, which... You're only going to find that in the King James Bible. All the other Bibles take that word study and they've changed it. Um, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, study is, it's, it means to exert oneself. It means to give diligence to, labor. Ecclesiastes says much study is weariness to the flesh. It, it's work. But if you're getting something out of it, that's a different story, right? <laughs> So, you know, the word of God, the sword of the spirit is a weapon, and a soldier is trained to break his weapon down. He's trained to take it apart, put it together in the dark, 
He wants to be familiar with it. He trains with it. He becomes proficient and accurate with it. That's the idea. Um, now, we're, you know, we're, we're told, and, and, and it is true, that the sword is the only article of the armor that's, that is the offensive weapon, but we sometimes neglect that it all also was defensive. You know, if you think about a sword fight, you've seen them in the movies, mainly it's blocking and deflecting. It's only when you get the right opportunity that you can use it to offensively, but it's just like martial arts. Your hands are your weapons, and you spend much more time training how to block and deflect than, oh, there we go. Hey, the Baptist is coming out of me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it does have a defensive purpose. And, and the, the, um, the best example of that is when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Every time he was... Um, the, the, the Satan twisted the scripture. Jesus came right back with, it is written. So, so Jesus himself used the word of God defensively. Another thing besides studying is we can memorize. Psalm 119, 11, and 16 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I will delight myself in, the, in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. So the sword of the spirit, though, it is in... In fact, the only part of the armor that is for offense. And, and you know, let's face it, if, if, you have, if all you have is a really good defense, the best you can do is tie. And it most, most likely you're going to lose, right? Thinking about basketball. 2 Corinthians, our memory verse, uh, fantastic verse. For, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Fourthly, we're told to rightly divide. And I know some of you are, oh, here we go again. Well, this is not a hobby horse. This is the reason we have to talk about this over and over again is because the largest Christian denomination in the world is the ignorant brethren. They fail to see it. They, they don't see it. And the Apostle Paul, through his epistle, says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Not understanding the rightly dividing issue is a source of confusion. It's the source of disunity, denominationalism. It's the source of a false gospel. And that's why we have to talk about it so often. And it's good to be part of a church that upholds us. I know sometimes it becomes redundant, but it's, it's so applicable just about every day. Every message you hear, every person you talk to will err, not rightly dividing the word of truth. So what does it mean, quickly? Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So we're not supposed to add to the word of God. We're not supposed to subtract it, but we're supposed to divide it. We're supposed to cut it straight is literally what it means. I've come to understand that this means to recognize distinctions, to recognize where God has placed divisions in his own word. If you don't recognize that, you just get this big melting pot of scripture that not, is not necessarily written to us, for us, during the time that we live. And if you take application of God's word from 
all over the Bible, you're going to be in error. Um, some examples of this are, the, the key ones are to recognize that, that God from the beginning had a heavenly plan and purpose, and he also ha had an earthly plan and purpose. Um, and by the way, the earthly plan and purpose was before the foundation of the world. The earthly plan was from the foundation of the world, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the, the dispensation of grace was not plan B. It was, it was the first one. So second um, distinction to recognize is, um, well, Ephesians 1.10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. Another distinction is those things that have been hidden in God from the beginning according to the mystery. Mystery is hidden wisdom. And those things that have been spoken from the beginning according to prophecy. A couple quick passages, Ephesians 3.9. This is Paul to the Gentiles. says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Peter to the men of Israel, said this in Acts 3.20, He shall ascend Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you from whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by my mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So you have hidden and spoken. You have uh, prophecy and you have mystery. It's very important to see that. Third, there's a heavenly program that has to do, the, the question came up in Sunday school, what is the mystery? And the short answer, it's the body of Christ. The fact that there's righteousness apart from the law and the fact that Jew and Gentile can be part of the same body. No one knew that until Paul. That was specific hidden wisdom given to Paul, revealed wisdom. It's not a mystery any longer. Unfortunately, it is a mystery. People have, have moved away from it. Um, but it's been revealed. And of course we know that this, the body of Christ started with the conversion of Paul and he is the first member of the body of Christ. You find that in 1 Timothy 1.16. Another rec uh, distinction to recognize is the fact that the apostle Paul, his commission was to the Gentiles. He went to the Jew first, but he went to the Gentiles and he had what he calls my gospel. His gospel is surely distinct from the gospel that Jesus trained the 12 to take into the world. Uh, to recognize that and the, the difference between the 12 who their commission was to specifically the house of Israel. There was a plan to reach the Gentile nations, but that was to come through Israel. And um, that changed or was put aside is a better way to put that. Uh, Paul was the one given the revelation of the dispensation of grace. Ephesians 3 is a great chapter if you want to look at that closer. It's, it's pretty, you can't really read the book uh, Ephesians 3 and not see that unless you want to handle the word of God deceitfully. And that's unfortunately what most people do when they come to Ephesians 3. Um, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which has given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. 
Now, the Apostle Paul is the only one that can claim to be the Apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, the only one who can say that he was not sent to baptize. He was the last apostle to see the ascended Lord. He warns that to be ignorant of this mystery is to be wise in your own understanding. That's a Romans 11, 25. Another uh, quick thing to, there's about five basic ones. The other one is to recognize in the book of Acts as a transitional book, and it moves from law to grace. And the diminishing of Israel, the setting aside of Israel, and the, the um, introduction of the dispensation of the grace of God, the body of Christ. So those are the basics. So, of course, to rightly divide, and this is where I was going, means to get the gospel right. That's the most significant part of it. The word of truth is the word of God, but specifically the gospel. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after also uh, that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, since there are different gospels in the Bible, we should determine which gospel, how it is used in context. Paul defines the gospel of the grace of God as his gospel. Now, most people react to that adversely. You can almost hear it if you listen closely. The most common reaction in unison, there's only one gospel. There's only, and they do it like this. There's only one gospel. Well, that's just biblically false. The word of God simply means, I'm sorry, the word gospel simply means glad tidings or good news. And God throughout the ages has spoken many proclamations of good news. Our job to study the word of God is to um, discern the context. As a matter of fact, and I'm only going to use that here, that statement, brother, <laughs> um, without going into great detail, look with me in the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Did you do this? I, did you, uh, I, I thought you might have done this. I'm not sure if we covered That's okay. We'll go over it just quickly again. Um, just a quick proof of that there's more than one gospel. Look at Galatians 2, verse 7, and chapter 3, verse 8. Galatians 2, 7 says this, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Now, that, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but that tells me that there's two gospels right there in one verse. If you're going to use... Uh, open a door, would you rather open one that's hinged or unhinged? I mean, it, it has meaning. The word un is, it has meaning. Um, now, I will say that the, that the modern Bible translations, they, they mess this up. They say the gospel to the uncircumcision and the gospel to the circumcision. So, we'll give them a little break on that, those who study, that if you, if you don't see, if you don't use the King James Bible, you're not going to see that. But it's, there's no doubt it's, they're separate messages, they're separate gospels. Um, in uh, chapter 3, verse 8, just to show you that there's, there's another gospel. So here's three gospels in just a couple passages here. Uh, it says, and the scripture 
foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Now, what was that gospel? What tells us right there, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So there's a third gospel right there. So I don't, uh, we could, there's, a lot, there's a lot more that can be said about that. But, you know, um, many will say this, though, that Peter preached the same gospel as Paul. And friends, this morning you will not find the gospel of the grace of God in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You just won't. The gospel is delineated for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, and this we should all know by now, right? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Key word, how? How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. I, I, I'm going to just leave it at that because we're going to run out of time. But another quick proof here is, um, is that the 12 were trained by the Lord himself for three years. Then he commissioned them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, which included repentance and water baptism for the remission of sins. That's not the gospel that we're under today. Many people mix that. You will hear it today if you just turn the radio on and listen. You'll hear it. You know, it's unfortunately, unfortunate, but, um, well, let me, let me look, look with me in uh, Luke. This is another exercise. If you haven't learned this, this is a good one. Luke um, 9, I, I like to go to verse 2 and 6. Uh, 9, 2 says this, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Down in verse 6 it says, And they departed, these, this is the 12, after some time of preparation and training from the Lord himself, they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now we know that this gospel was the kingdom gospel, but just the, the idea that did the 12 pe preach the same gospel as Paul, you have to go to Luke um, chapter 18. I, I go all back, back, way back to verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets. This is Jesus speaking to the twelve towards the end of his ministry. So this is a couple of years later. Um, Concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and he shall be mocked, and spitely entreated, and spit upon. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. What was their reaction to this? Verse 34, And they understood none of these things. The saying was hid from them, neither knew the things which were spoken. Their gospel was different. There was a change. They did get further revelation, but... You can study that on your own if you study the book of Acts. They, they, taught, they did not teach the graceful uh, message to the, uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Unfortunate, um, I have a friend who is part of a, um, this society called the, the Grace Evangelical Society. And it's a pretty good group. This group of men pride themselves on getting the gospel right. 
And um, they do in many senses, but what they have done is they've refined the gospel, confined the gospel just to the book of John. They, they believe that that's how you keep it straight. That's how you weed out all the lordship gospels that are out there. You just go right to the book of John. But I, I'm sorry, John 3.16 is not our gospel. You will not get the preaching of the finished work of Christ, the, cr the cross work of Christ, the finished work, believing in the blood, the accomplishments of that blood for our sin, righteousness apart from the law. You will not find that in the book of John. I love the book of John. It's a fantastic book. It specifically is written to tell us that Jesus is the Son of God. But our gospel's not from there. And um, it's really sad to see. If you read their publications, sometimes you get a little bit of Paul gospel. And, and they do get it in there eventually. But it's not from the book of John. You have to borrow from the revelation given to Paul to get it right. In, just quickly, there's one more gospel. It's called the everlasting gospel. I'm going to zip through this. It's in uh, Revelation chapter 14, 6. And that gospel specifically said the content of that is for those who are going through the tribulation. It's, it's gonna, the content of that is fear God and give glory to him for the hour of, of this judgment has come and worship him that has, that has made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That's, there's a third gospel, right? Fourth, fourth gospel. Romans 16, 25, now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So brothers and sisters, we have to get the gospel right. Um, I'm going to zip down a little bit because we're running out of time. So how important is the word of God? It's really important. But, you know, it's really not just about the word. Our passage here, and I'll wrap it up with this, is really about the whole armor. Because the whole armor is a unit and it all works together. And I would submit to you that the whole armor is really a picture of Christ. I'll just go through this quickly. Truth, John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to me, the Father, but by me. Ephesians 4, 21, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as truth is in Jesus. Um, righteousness, um, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Philippians 1, 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. Peace, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, the shield of faith, Jesus is the faithful one. Galatians 3.22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Salvation. Jesus, of course, is the Savior. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.10, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that this 
they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Of course, the word of God, Jesus is the living word. Um, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Revelation 19, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the word of God. Amen. A couple of final thoughts that you can take with you today. You know, we do, we find ourselves in the midst of turmoil, political unrest, a world that's in, that is on track to, quite frankly, resemble the days of Noah, when men, of course, only did evil continually. We see the violence and hatred in the world, even in our own city. Um, this confirms that in the last times, evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible does remind us, as we see this, that the, that the days are evil and that we are to redeem the time that remains. Our lives are like a vapor, James tells us. It appears for a while and then it's gone, and our lives are like a shadow. It passes by. I'm realizing that I'm only 62, but I'm realizing that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The fast, closer you get to the end, the faster it rolls out, runs out. <laughs> um, but, you know, every day we have a choice as believers how to navigate through this life. We can be pushed around to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We can live an emotional roller coaster up and down by the circumstances of this present evil world. Or we can choose to live in victory for a number of reasons. Yes, we are members of the body of Christ, and this membership has its advantages. My favorite verse is this, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope. Those are three things that the world doesn't have. I'm sorry. And you, you're not going to find them outside of the membership of the, the body, member, being a member of the body of Christ. Um, Galatians 3 26, 20 says, For we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, having been clothed with Christ. And that's the picture I wanted you to see today, that this armor, as we pick it up and we put it on, it's, it's like uh, clothing. We put it on. Now, we, we have that. If you notice the tense there, all those who have been baptized in the Christ through faith, we have put on Christ. That's a done deal. That does not have to be repeated. That's past tense. That is our justification. That's our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, in our passage, notice the present tense. Ephesians 6.11 says, To put on. The whole armor, this is an imperative. So is this, this could be, seems like a contradiction. But to put on the whole armor of God, which is the same, the same idea to clothe oneself, to put on as a garment. Is this really something we need to do on a daily basis? Yes, it is. The soldier didn't go to bed with his armor on, right? Every day. Uh, maybe they did, I don't know. They were pretty, they were pretty uh, tough guys. Um, they didn't sleep and they didn't eat probably. Uh, Romans 13 says, tells us to wake up. 
Cast off the works of darkness. This is talking to us. Um, but to put on the armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I say this armor is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and the putting of, on of him, the new man. It's a reference to the new man. And of course, Romans chapter 6 talks about that. And just to briefly say, it, the, the, the Romans 6 tells us knowing these things, we no longer have to yield to those things which dominate us, which used to dominate us, sin, unrighteousness, death. But we're alive from the dead. We can live righteously unto God. Now this morning, if you're outside of Christ, you don't have any choices. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You're separated from God. You're dominated by unrighteousness. You're not free. You're a slave to sin, is what the Bible says. And you, frankly, should live in fear. One day you're going to stand in judgment before a holy God who's defined in the scripture as a loving God, but he's also defined as a consuming fire. And you're going to have to explain to him why you rejected his free gift. He sent his only begotten son into the world. Only begotten son. The King James gets that one right. It's not his one and only son. To willingly lay down his life, to be beaten, mocked, spit upon, and to be nailed through his hands and feet, executed on a Roman cross, specifically to bleed out and to die for your sin. As a result, God will cast you, your body and your soul, into the lake of fire. But the good news, remember, <laughs> you don't have to go there. You can escape this. You see, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing sin. You know, folks, that's where we live. That's the day that we live. God is not imputing sin. The forgiveness of sin has already been accomplished. The satisfaction of the very blood of Christ. And it's a shame that there will be people that will go to hell having the price already been paid. And it's a matter of just believing in that and believing that he was uh, buried and he rose again from the dead. So if you're an unbeliever, you too can be a member of the body of Christ. It's, it's simple, just faith, believing, trusting. It's the obedience of faith. It's not a work, but it's our only response to the, to the gospel. So let's just bring this all in perspective and we'll get out of here right at 12. Sorry about that. The purpose for the whole armor is for our personal protection against our enemies. Whether it's attacks from the seen world, which there are those, or the unseen adversary and his demonic forces working in the darkness of this world. It's a promise that all of who will uh, endeavor to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. Our orders, though, are to stand. You know, the war belongs to God, and it's already been won. Satan is, all, is a defeated foe. He's limited. And although we put on the armor of a warrior, we're not marching. We're standing. We're not involved in head-to-head -head combat. We actually are warriors turned into ambassadors. We represent Christ in a foreign land. And remember, this is not our home. 
We as the church are the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15, and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's what God's doing. Our message is the good news of grace and peace, the word of reconciliation. We who carry the grace message and endeavor to make all men see the fellowship of the mystery, we are, though, especially targets. The enemy tends to focus on those that are aligning themselves with God's purposes. And we know God's purpose is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's two different things, by the way. Lastly, the analogy of the whole armor of God wouldn't be complete unless we finish the sentence. It goes on, we don't have time for this, but it goes on to say, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. If you take on the armor and you leave out the end of the sentence here, you're not going to be too effective without prayer and supplication in the spirit. So the content of watching and praying should be for the opportunity and boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank, thank you for your great salvation. The cost that you determined to do before the foundation of the world. You said, Father, I will do it. But you, and then you created, knowing that you would have to one day become one of us you would have to one day go to the cross on our behalf. We praise you for that. We trust in you. We believe in you. We love you, Lord. And we just pray in these remaining days, Lord, that we would be strong. We would take on this armor, Lord, and we would look to you for our strength and that we would endeavor to represent you in this world, Lord. There's a job to do, and you've entrusted your church with that. It's in this name of precious name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. This man has the gift of teaching. Amen. And Gary, this pulpit's open to you. Anytime you say, I've got something to say, you let me know. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we come before you this morning, and once again, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for how it directs us, guides us, instructs us. And Father, we thank you for loving us so very much that you provided that direction that we might know you, know you more fully. And Father, we thank you that we can know with certainty that our salvation is sure in Christ. Now, Father, bless us as we leave this building, as we step out into the mission field. Father, regardless of where we are, what we're doing, may we be faithful to share the gospel of Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.